Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. And here, uh, after popular demand, is Mr. Harry Metcalf. Um, and that is Harry M. Vids on Twitter and Harry's Garage Vids on Instagram. Also with me is at Edward Lovett, who is Edward Lovett, weirdly enough. Um, and I have to say, lots of people have asked me since we started doing this, get Harry on here. Harry launched evo magazine um he's a massive part of the car enthusiasm massive part of the car enthusiasm industry in the uk um and i've known him for a long time and i cannot believe this isn't going to be an amusing hour and a half chatting about stuff hello harry and welcome to your own living room hi hello chris and hello edward <laughs> hello, to see you here. <laughs> so when we arrived harry was outside wrestling with farm machinery because he loves doing that we've had a little walk around his shed and seen what is clearly an obsession with uh, off-road enduro motorcycles and Dakar Challenge motorcycles. Yes. And yeah. some of your cars as well. Um, so I want to talk you through, I want you to talk me through, first of all, some of your car choices, because you have an eclectic collection of cars now, don't I you? I do. I do. I, I don't know. I can't get over people just collect the one make of car. I want different flavours in the different car. I want to know I'm in a completely different car and it behaves like this. And But I like the whole spectrum. I like the way you've got a, Bentley, haven't you? You've got a Bentley Mulsanne. I've got that Rolls-Royce Shadow, my four grand eBay purchase that took us to the Arctic. But that is such a unique experience and worth every penny. Um, and then you get in the Countach and you couldn't be more different. So that's what I want to do. And it, and it just makes me a blithering idiot when I open the garage door and deciding which car to take, really. You, ne- you're quite, you never want two cars that do the same thing. There's no, no point. No. Then I, I actually don't like the agony of choice at that point. That's, yeah. that's an awful thing to say. Yeah. But, but if you look, if you, I don't understand people that have a GT3 and an RS. Why? It's the same car. Yeah. Really. I mean, okay, they are different, but they serve yeah. the same purpose, don't they? Yeah. So I think, well, we're, we're lucky, though, Chris, aren't we? Because we've spent the last few decades driving everything. 
So therefore, we actually, you know, we've we've had access to everything, and I think we're we've matured. We don't feel like we have to chase the latest thing. We just want different flavours. It's like going to a restaurant; you don't order the same thing every time. Yeah, I think so, and I and I maybe we're slightly locked into what we view as the golden era. The very latest super hyper cars are interesting me less and less. Yeah, not because I don't appreciate the way they look or I don't admire their engineering. I don't know how I'm supposed to use them, where I'm supposed no. to use them, and they don't no. really give me as much joy. A lot of that's wedded to the manual gearbox as well for me as well. I'm, I, for recreation, I don't really have any interest in paddles. No, no. Um, I don't well, know what you think? Oh, it's all it's all changed, isn't it? Um, it was really brought home to me a few weeks ago because I borrowed a friend's first generation Diablo, number sixty five off the line, yeah. and it was an absolute animal, and I couldn't get over uh how intense the experience was you you know the, the radio was surplus you don't need a radio in that car and you're concentrating and you know if you press a bit too hard on that throttle you're in that hedge and you're going to be a spectacular crash you're going to be all over instagram but it god it was wonderful and that guy who owned that had come out of a 650s mclaren and he'd been doing the new car at journey and just revisited this it was it was um 9, mile diablo and he was a transformer. He said, suddenly I found Utopia. This is actually why I fell in love with motoring in the first place and yeah. enjoyed driving. Was it, a, was it a manual box? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's it? the early one. Yeah, six, what were they? Um, 5.7. Yeah. 5.7 litre. A noise you couldn't believe. A guttural um, induction noise that, would, for me, was second to McLaren F1. Yeah. And just huge, just an intense experience. And, and what would that set you back today, do you think? He had paid at 9,000 miles, about 160. So yeah. they're, they're available for 130 odd. And they're sort of, you know, they're a Diablo. Um, and they're quite Still one of the great, so one of the great supercar shapes for me. When, when we first saw it, yeah. and the rear, the way that rear bumper has that sort of scallop I on like the inside that. is a great piece of design. Yeah. You yeah. fancied one of those recently. I still want one. Yeah, I still, yeah. I still yeah. want a six a VT. Oh, no, I don't want a VT. I want a six litre, which is the crossover point. Audi had bought the company yeah. late 90s. And the first car they produced was all they could do was they could basically get Audi to fix the issues with the Diablos of electrics and other stuff. Yes. And they made a four-wheel drive, six-litre Diablo. didn't run for long. It's, it is the best Lamborghini I've ever driven because yeah. it's got all the anger of the car yeah. you drove. But actually, it's technically very good as well. I didn't really. I did a bit of research. I mean, this this yeah podcast shouldn't really be about Lamborghinis in uh, total. But I didn't realise the four-wheel drive had come because at the uh, time they were developing Diablo or Countach re- replacement was when the Bugatti factory was you know coming up and they were staff were being leased from Lamborghini and then word got round that the EB110 was going to be four wheel drive oh so we better go four wheel drive and it was Quattro as well so Lamborghini you know engineers said oh we need to go four wheel drive but they didn't get it ready in time they needed to replace the Countach so the Diablo came out in two wheel drive form first oh, while yeah. they got the four wheel drive ready so that it's it's a little you know moment in time really yeah. Otherwise, you've got to go SE30 and stuff like that, which is well, they're expensive, too, though, aren't they? Yeah, it's too mad. No, no air con. Okay, so we've 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 started <laughs> there. Normally, we say we talk about what we've been doing this week, but with you, that's too complicated. So I yeah. reckon, tell us tell us how you got into this industry because people that are close to you know the story, but I'm not sure everyone knows. No, how because I think people must say. Why is he still doing farming? Is he a farmer? What is, he, what, is he a motoring journalist? What are you? I know. Tell, what tell what you, am I? Well, I just want a proper job one day. That's all I really want. Well, you seem you to have done all right without it. So, so, so tell, us, tell us how you came to love cars, what your car passion was, and then how that fed into becoming the bloke that founded 
yeah. the most recognisable car magazine yeah, in the UK. I don't know. It's all very odd. I ought to write it down one day. But I'm, yeah, the, the love of you cars. You get Leading to ghost it for you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, it wouldn't be true. Yeah, that two versions. But yeah, how did it all start? The car bit, the car obsession... I can't quite work out exactly why that happened. I was into bikes, motorbikes, because we had a place in Wales, and we're surrounded with forest. And um, I, weirdly, I wanted a horse when I was about age 11. My dad was, my granddad was a horse dealer. So I thought, oh, I'll get a nice horse. I didn't know why I wanted a horse. And I opened the stable door, and basically there was a motorbike there. And my dad said, you'll never look after a horse. You, you ought to have that. So that sort of started the bike obsession because I could chase off into the woods as a 12, 13 year old and have escapism and steep and off-road bikes and then it was just mechanical bits and knew how to fix things I had rubbish British bikes and so they used to help people fix their bikes uh, uh, cars when I was at school 17, I don't know, 16, 17 we couldn't wait to escape from home and it was the car or the bike was the way you escaped from home um so because I knew mechanicals, I sort of got more into cars and I'm, I don't really want to admit this in public, but I started tweaking Volkswagen Beetles is actually the, the first obsession, which fortunately I grew out of and I spent a flipping fortune turning a Beetle into a two litre Beetle and it just, it didn't go very quick, you know, it would do 100 mile an hour, which is really quick in a Beetle, but it, um, yeah, it was a bad obsession. What's it like when the corners came along? Didn't, didn't do corners, <laughs> just <laughs> straight lines. Um, so then, I then yeah, the, the journey was, I went, I was going to do automotive engineering at um, Loughborough and didn't do very well, maths A level was a disaster, you're going to do something, so I ended up at Agricultural College and I thought, well, farming's not a bad way of life, came out as a grain buyer and I just did everything to get the other side of the fence and started renting ground in the 80s and started with sheep and um, grew up a flock of sheep but it was bloody hard work because it was all day every day for arable farm is a better way started taking bits of land on but and that sort of worked and then still into cars bought bought a Lotus Alana. Well, I had Saab Turbos. I had a succession there is, of Saab Turbos. There is a turbos. photograph of you that does the yeah. rounds in yeah. the Saab Turbo. <laughs> yes. Do you have a moustache? I had a moustache. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was at college. Uh, yeah, I met my wife when I had a moustache, so it didn't do... Yeah, it must have worked then. Um, so, and it was 80s. So how did that... Where do we go? Yeah, then Saab Turbo, bought an M3, uh, e, e, um, 30 M3. Um, really like that then didn't want the E36 M3 because it seemed... To so so you had an E30 M3 when they were new? When it was new, yeah. yeah. We were just well, talking it was about two years, it? one, two years old. <laughs> Lovely, quality, beautiful. I said to uh, my wife that it's left-hand drive. You ought to go off. So we did the Christmas shopping, went out to Florence, Maranello, uh, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, went went all the way down to Naples, Amalfi Coast, in it? So um, at this point... You're buying cars. You're into cars. What's your relationship with car media at this point? Are you reading? Zero. Are you reading Absolutely magazines? Or uh, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah, I, I suppose I, I was. Yeah, no, but the, actually, it's the next car. So E36 M3 came out. I thought, well, that's just a marketing. So it's not a true M3 like the original. Or didn't have the connection to motorsport, etc. And somehow uh, it was. I think it was an auto car. They did a test of the Maserati Ghibli. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's a bit of kit. Maybe that's a better thing than the. Um, having the E36 M3. And what people forget with cars like that is you don't actually pay the list price. You go along to Meridian and you do a deal and it's not bad and suddenly you've got yourself a Maserati outside. And 
I have to say, as, a, as an enthusiast, it's the sort of brand I never thought I'd own a Maserati, and it was pretty cool, actually. I, it rocked around. And then he did a Ghibli Cup, and I got wind of that. I said, oh, I'll do a Ghibli Cup. And it was that point where I sort of was in contact with the media because I knew I was going to get this cup in. It's going to be the first one in the UK. And I've been really cool. So I just let a few people know, oh, I've got this Ghibli Cup coming. And... Uh, yeah, it's weird. I, I, got, I got a letter from Jeremy Clarkson actually saying um, how they were going to feature it and stuff. Um, so that actually, just by having that car, got me in contact with media. Then we did road tests, it was particularly a performance car with um, Brett Fraser, Mark Walton at that time. So you'd go along, you'd ba- they'd borrow your car wherever they were staying an overnight. Yeah. And you'd go and hang out at the hotel and basically make sure they weren't going to barrel roll it. Yeah, yeah, there was a bit of that. And then I did a car. They wanted it for the uh, performance car, car of the year, up in Yorkshire. They said, oh, why don't you come and join us? There's Dan Strong there, Roger Green, whole, the gang. Um, and that's how, yeah, I got to know the journos, really. And then I started helping. I was still farming, arable farming. So you don't do a lot in arable farming. Once you've planted it, then if you don't, you know, shoot and stuff, you've got a few months off before you start up again in the spring. So uh, inactivity I, means you spend money. When you're, when you're working, oh, you're well, not spending money, are you? Yeah. Well, fortunately, at those days, you didn't actually have, uh, it's ridiculous now, but we didn't have the web. So it was, it was Exchange Mart, Sunday Times, stuff like that, where you'd go, you know, have a look, auto trader. Um, but yeah, that, that car got me into it. And then it was out on a uh, performance car. I used to help them out on group tests because, you know, sort of safe pair of hands was the was what they used to call me. Mm. So I used to help out on group tests. And John Barker's, it was all around um, Z3 1.9 uh, performance car. And they got an MX-5 and stuff around it. And, he that, says, and that turned out to be the last issue, didn't it? And he said, you're not going to believe this. This is the last ever test we're doing for performance car. And we'd sort of spoken about magazines before. And basically, long story short, I just said there was never going to be a better time to launch a new car magazine. Um, let's talk about it on the test. So that that test, we did about 20% thinking about the cars and 80% thinking about how on earth we're going to launch a car magazine. And um, so it's John Barker, Dickie, Gus Gregory. Um, yeah, was, Dan Strong was there as well. So that, that was the trigger. So I knew I could, there was a black hole appearing on the newsstand shelf and uh, if we could be quick and organise ourselves, we could launch a car magazine into that black hole, um, was my theory, because EMAP were going to fold performance car into car magazine, and I felt that an awful lot of buyers of performance car magazine were probably still already buying car magazine, so it, they wouldn't know what to do. They wanted that specialist. I didn't want to replace a car magazine, a Top Gear or anything like that. I just wanted the best of the best, something that's really special that you bought... You just couldn't resist buying when you got your regular car magazine or Top Gear. You go, oh, look at that Eva! I'm going to have to have that as well. And that was that was the plan. And how? So you've you've got a couple of journos that want to do it. You've got a, some very talented designers. You've got people yeah. that want to do it. Yeah. Um, you've not started a business of that type before. No, the publishing was yeah. a bit of an so, adventure. So, yeah. so let's, let's so some some people will be fascinated by this, and and also let us know some of the risks as well because. Some people assume it's just a walk in the park, and I think you'll in a minute you'll no. confirm that it's not. So, how, no. first of all, the name Evo. Evo is a great name. Yeah. How, what were the other choices? Come on, let us know. Oh. Tell, let us know what you went through. Um, the uh, the initial one they came back was uh, Road Sport, and I 
and I said, I'm not doing road Smelly, sport. Harry, smelly. <laughs> yeah. No, but that that was a class. If you were into hill climb champs, it was the road sport. And I said, oh, I like don't. it. Is it still available? <laughs> well, it's up to you. Yeah, I wouldn't bother. But uh, there, there was that. Uh, and I said, no, we need a we need another name. Let's have a uh, meeting and discuss a name. So we got everybody around the table. And we just you just shouted out names and you'd see what <clears throat> was going. And it was sort of heading... There was GT, GTO, things like that. I, I, I was sort of, I was telling them that there's a telephone company out there called Orange, and there was a magazine called Red. So everything they didn't actually need the name car in it. Um, it just needs to be recognisable and sort of had an association. And the the Evo bit, completely by accident, at the table I had an autocast flicking through and looking at what their future models was and one of the future models was a Maserati Maserati Quattroport Evolution so I said oh we Evolution Evo I just chucked it out there um, and then when we were starting bold down the names it was top 10 top 5 and Evo just came straight to the top and that was that and that's how it got named it was just a simple naming meeting down in Harperton and we all came away pretty happy with the name actually because I think it's like my dad didn't understand it at all, um, but the buyer knew Evo was the best, best of the best, as we know. And the Mitsubishi thing was big at that point as no, well. No, was it no, not? it was pre. It Evo. That was that was the danger that then had when that Mitsubishi Evo sort of rocked up. We well, had Evo three, four, and five were already out by then. It, it was, wasn't. They weren't so big in the UK. It was Integrale Evo, oh, okay. um, and there was an M3 Evo, and it was. It wasn't associated at that point. The association wasn't there. And as soon as the Mitsubishi, I thought, crikey, we've got to be careful here. So there was a sort of unwritten rule that we'd never put an Eve, a Mitsubishi Evo on the cover because it looked like a, look like a Japanese, yeah, Japanese yeah. mag. That's how it happened. Well, I can remember being at Silverstone watching Steve Sutcliffe in a TVR Tuscan race. Yeah. Middle of, it'd be 98, probably. Yes, it was and, 98. and John Barker was there. And he just handed me this dummy. Oh, yeah. With the orange Elise on the front of it. That's it. And he just said, what about this? And, I'm, and I, this came up in the podcast with Dickie. You know, I remember thinking, I love my job, but I think I probably want to work there. Yeah. At the moment I saw the product, I just thought, oh, this is going to work. Well, that was the other thing. I kept saying, whatever we put out as a first issue has got to be it. I don't want to think that, oh, if only we'd done this, that, and the other. We wanted that paper perfect bound i wanted to make sure people felt it was collectible we didn't didn't want to put it in the bin um so that makes them buy the second or third fourth issue um, we had that very waxy cover didn't it it was a, it matte, was a matte cover yeah. yeah which which caused difficulties uh cause so it, how did so how did, what, was, oh, yeah, what the were the financial mechanics oh, finance. so 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 how many times did you uh, did you sleep at all it naivety is a great thing in situations like this and uh, it sort of hit home. I knew it was speed was the essence um, because I wanted to hit that black hole. So how long appearing. before? How long between deciding to do it and the first issue hitting the newsstand? Uh, let's have a think. It was June of the group test, and I think we came out in October, which That's sounds outrageous. quite a long time. But from standing start, what I hadn't quite envisaged when we had those sort of chats about doing the mag is I actually had to set up a publishing company to produce a magazine. That that was the bit I'd forgotten about. I could see the end product, but getting there was much more of a journey. And it really hit home. I was spraying a field near home and 
uh, I needed to order the computer equipment um, to get us going. And the um, there's two halves to a magazine. Um, there's the ad guys, and then there's the editor editorial guys. And the editorial guys wanted Macs, and the uh, ad guys wanted PCs. And I was on this tractor, and you think this is 1998, and I ordered as I was spraying this field, £45,000 worth of computer equipment in a phone call. And I thought, God, Metcalf, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> I, well, you know, that would buy a decent car, and I've just done it on a phone call. And I thought, what am I going to do if it all goes wrong with £45,000 worth of monitors and PCs and servers? and oh. So, yeah, the finance, my bank manager, I was in sort of doing property and farming, and he said, Pub- as soon as I mentioned publishing, they said, oh, don't do it. Whatever you do. So all the bank would do was show me people telling me not to do it. Why publishing was the highest risk business you could ever enter into. And I said, it's a different launch. We're not launching. This is a black hole. It's a different launch. And uh, I knew Performance Guy was doing all right. They were doing 30,000, 35,000 uh, sales. I thought, oh, if we just manage the business on that, we know the people I've got joining us. I can do this. I can make this work. But I could have... I was in a position where we uh, had a, a second home that I could sell if I wanted, but I didn't really want to sell it um, if it all went wrong. So I thought, well, I can risk this money. I can risk this because we we only live one. You only need one house to live in. Um, but I raising the money. As soon as any uh, financier found out what I was doing, they didn't want to do finance. But it, fortunately, I had a a, a loan organised on a grain store. On a duffer farm that was 275,000. And uh, I had that in my back pocket. So I went to see my agricultural manager. I said, uh, Martin, what what do I need to trigger that loan of 275,000 that we agreed a few months ago? He says, no, but you just have to tell me you're putting a grain store up. Martin, I'm putting a grain store up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I will make the loan live. So suddenly we had 275 slush fund to launch Evo on. And that's, that was how it was financed. And, a, and, a, and an imaginary grain barn. And a grain barn. <laughs> I still really want a grain bar. I still haven't got a grain oh, bar. Oh, you still not got it? I've still got a decent grain bar. So that that is where the money came from to to do the magazine because I was determined to do it by then. You know, so, I so, just so you, love your your liquid to to the tune of a certain amount. Yeah, and and as we all know, when you when you launch a venture like this, you, you all you're thinking of is how long you can survive before you start to earn proper money. Uh, when it hit, they did a great. The dummy was great. Um, and that sold it. People could see it was different. Um, and then when the first issue came out, I was so excited. We we're all so excited. I just loved that it was. It was the meeting of you know, Dickie, John, Dame, Dame Smith, the designer, Alan doing the sales, Jackie doing um, the um, ad sales. It all actually worked. There was no one. If I was doing it again, I'd just choose the same team again. At that point, there was no overage. Was we there? Were, every, every, you were fit we were and lean. We all knew what we were going to do. And it really worked. And Gus doing the photography. And and that first issue came out, I remember just hanging out in Harper and WH Smith just watching people buy it and just going, just like, slightly tearful. That's, oh, That's mine. That's <laughs> mine. <laughs> you, want, you want that one over there, mate. You don't want to buy that. You want to buy that. And, the, yeah, so we had um, office coffees we were going to send out. And then the distributor said, oh, it's selling rather well. You need to um, send those issues out. We need those. So, so it was, what was the first print? Right. How many did you print the first time? Uh, it was, I, I can't remember the exact figure. I want to say around 60 or 70,000. Um, but it sold, uh, 24,000, I think it was, yeah, 24,000 in the UK. 
And then overseas, you don't find out what the overseas is doing for months, but it did all right. It did about 7,000 overseas. Second issue came out, it went down to about uh, 21, I thought it were. Um, and then the third issue was Car of the Year, and that one absolutely flew. Um, but I, second issue had come out, I also, in the cash flow, original cash flow, I wasn't expecting to have to pay for the paper and printing up front. So that was... <laughs> That was around 70,000. It cost about 100,000, 110,000 per issue. Um, and at the 275 slash In print costs. In print yeah. costs before you get any money back. Um, add people, uh, uh, they know the game. They think it's a new magazine. It'll go pop. So they do everything to delay paying you because they don't think it's going to last. So Christmas time, John remembers, I sort of turned the lights. Uh, we'll have a discussion. We're going to carry on this in the new year. Happy, happy Christmas, everyone! And I, was, <laughs> I really pumped them up. And I was down. It was around the. I think it, I used two hundred seventy-three thousand of the loan, so we're three thousand away from. Oh my God! Now what I'm going to sell to try and carry it on. And then when we came back in the new year, sales figures for car of the year were out, and it was flying. And we got a rally supplement from Seat. And Alan managed to get um, payment up front on it, and we were off. And yeah. from that moment on, it was financially stable, and we could just concentrate on the content, which was ace. So yeah, quite a journey. the rest is history. Yeah, I think I think it's fantastic because it it proved that someone could kind of come into the into that environment with something new and fresh because it was stale, wasn't it? It was a yeah. bit stale. Yeah, well, we didn't put any noses out of joint. Everybody carried on with sales. We weren't ripping sales from you somewhere didn't else. Put your noses out of joint. I remember a wonderful dinner. This is a good one. You might remember this. <laughs> Who was the PR guy for Alpha? Peter Newton. Peter Newton. Peter oh, Newton. God, remember that? Yeah. So we were on the Alpha one one four seven launch. Yeah. Right? We're in a hotel near uh, Baloco Baloco Race or their their test facility. And he's had a couple of sherbets, hasn't he, yeah. this chap? And I'm down the end of the table. And Harry's new to this world. But Harry also, you know, he owns a magazine that's, that everyone's talking about. But because he's not been on the launch circuit for 25 years, he's still Never. in short trousers and, not, and doesn't yeah. really demand any respect, is what this bloke thinks. And he just started launching at you, didn't he, at the dinner yeah. table? It was really, um, it was like, you know, was what do peculiar. you know? What do you know? What do you know about this? And he's going, well, blah, blah, blah. So what we discussed, was, I remember sitting there thinking, well, we'll ignore him. And, um, and you were just saying, well, I think if the lads, if the sales go really well for the next year, I'm going to buy a long-term F40. There was always this notion that Harry was going to buy, he's going to buy, if, if, if the boys did really well, they'd be like a pool car, which would be an F40. God, we had fun in those early days because I mean I don't know how many issues in they're going to do a launch of the um, of the Audi TT. I said, what was the last four wheel drive decent uh, car they bought? And it was an Audi Quattro. So we just went out and bought an Audi twenty hour Quattro yeah. and drove it down to Italy to the launch. And we were just full of this stuff. We didn't care. We were proper rebels. And I just wanted people to sort of think of it like a club. They wanted to be a part of the gang. That's that was the idea. And he didn't. We had Russell Baldwin um, writing for us as well. And I and I think. You just wanted to turn the page. You weren't sure what you're going to expect next. And photography was also key to me. Any photographer who worked for Evo insisted that they, back in the day of film, uh, they had a large format camera and had to produce, you know, Hasselblad type um, uh, trannies as well as the 35mm. Because I thought it was a discipline because you only got 12 shots for a roll of film. Yeah. And he really cared, and they were static, and uh, it, it meant to me that the photographer really cared. So that was a requirement if you wanted to do photography for Evo and all this sort of thing. Looking back, we we, we had a ball, and the readers enjoyed it. And we've got 
we had an Evo Mail. I've got, I've still got Evo Mail 2 with these folders, all the letters and emails we got in. We called it the happy book. So if you were on deadline and were feeling a bit miz, you'd go and read one of the happy books and he'd realise why you were doing it and he'd work till midnight getting the next issue out. And yeah, the, the talk about Dickie, every, every editorial meeting used to start it. Well, issue four, who would have thought it? You know, and we carry on. So what are we going to do next? So were you editor-in-chief at the time? Not, not, no, not really. It was, it was Dick. I didn't know what to do on that front. It was, yeah. Um, John started it. it. It was a gang doing it. I, I was sort of managing, I think managing director, because I've... Um, and always Harrison, never Harry. But were you, um, were you, still, were you still farming as well? Um, yeah, farming. Yeah, I didn't know it was kept magazines carry on. So I didn't, yeah. yeah, I had to get a farm manager. Within a few weeks of Evo starting, before we published, I realised, Christ, they're, they're really good editorial types, but they don't know how to run a business. I might have to go in there. So suddenly I got a farm manager. I had someone sort of working, I made promotions of farm manager and then became, went in every day. Yeah. Because I thought, I'm running a business, I'm spending my own money, signing the checks. Yeah. You know, I want to be there. So, um, so Evo effectively becomes its own cult and it also hits the zeitgeist because the timing like so much of this you've done all the good work but the the car market came to meet you as well it did fast cars emerged brands really got their act together and and make some amazing metal that allows you to celebrate it more and more the writing team gets stronger this brand builds and then someone comes up to you and says well we might want to buy that Uh, or do you go to someone and say i might want to sell that i was i felt we're slightly vulnerable that we were doing all right but we only a one title magazine so if you put your financial results out and they're quite strong we got let out the bag by the big publishers because you can imagine at a board meeting you know we've heard some farmer from Harpen is going to launch a car magazine you're not going to take it very seriously yeah. had we had been you know a future uh dennis launch a new car magazine they're all daggers out and they you know price point and they do all sorts of tricks to say you don't work but we'd been let out the bag because of a farmer launching it and um looking back i sort of wished we'd done more titles but um to bring in the 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 right guys, the John Dickies, etc., to join it. I'd given them a, a small share in the business, and I, th- I thought maybe we'd be better under a bigger title, uh, a bigger publisher. And then I had an approach from Future, uh, Future Publishing, uh, out the blue. Hey, Market sort of said, "Don't let it go pop," and that was that was all that happened there. And the Future one was was pretty serious. Uh, but I wasn't sure if this was the right company for us. So I said to Alan, I said, do you know Dennis? I, I'd all been an admirer of Felix Dennis, and he was pretty maverick publishers, we all know, and uh, just an individual. I just make him aware that we're under offer and just see if anything comes back. And that was Christmas 2001. I was sort of having secret squirrel meetings there, and uh, a deal was done uh, with with Dennis. And right at the beginning, it was great, it, the, you know, we got a little little bit from it and nothing really changed the the big thing that changed i suppose was the, the we had a forum we didn't i came down the stairs wondering we we're setting up evo and the guy putting all the computers in he says oh do you want a website i said what, what what's a website he says oh most people just use it to put your address on so people know where you are if they're looking for it it's just a page i said oh all right then how what do you call it he says why well, just your name you know your evo let's see and he typed in and went www 
www.evo.co.uk. He says, yeah, that's there. I said, well, that's great. We've got a website. Yeah, bye. And that was the setting up of Evo websites. <laughs> and said, so I said, oh, you do forums and things. There was a guy moved across. So we had this Evo forum and it became this animal because it was so popular. It kept folding the servers. And I, when I did the deal with Dennis, one of my big issues was I was paying a fortune for this server space of this blessed Evo forum. So earning no money. Earning no money. It was a complete pain. So I said, oh, they took it over. And it's sort of from the guys who are doing the Evo forum set up a little company, Petrol Ted and Piston Heads. And, sort of the, and that all sort of was born out of the demise of the Evo forum. So that's another one of my regrets. I just hadn't <laughs> seen that one coming at all. It came really quickly, didn't it? Yeah. So... So you sell Evo, yeah. Keep a bit of it, I presume. So you've yeah. got an interest in it, and yes. then and then it just it just immediately became part of the furniture, didn't it? Then it was it just, did. It yeah, was just we had on funding. Yeah, they did an amazing job on subs, um, overseas sales, everything. Everything was licensed editions. It was all very exciting um, in in those days. But so was that was that it within twelve months of launch? Right? Uh, no. no, two years, two, two, two years, years, two and a bit years. Yeah, um, but Felix. Bless him. The only other car magazine had was Auto Express. So he kept trying to fold Evo and Auto Express, make them work together. I said, we couldn't be more different. Um, I said, why can't we have a premium publisher division? You've got the week and you've got us and we could wrap some other things. So I looked at doing a quarterly with him and then they decided not. And then I pitched the idea of buying Octane magazine. And um, he said, well, that might work. So Evo and Octane worked together. They always wanted synergy, cut down costs and stuff. So, yeah, I bought uh, Octane in as well. So, you know, behind the scenes, I had the two magazines that I uh, was responsible for at Dennis uh, in the early days. Uh, and that was quite a good match, actually. We were both both worked, both times worked out the same office in um, yeah, Williston in, near Wellingborough. And yeah, we carried on. They're no on. longer there, are they anymore? No, no. Poor guys haven't got any office. They work remotely from yeah. home, you know. So we did. I just look back at those early days, and it was just a ball. I and mean, we had the cars, we had the everything going for us. The manufacturers, we could ring up anywhere and do anything. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, about 2010, things started to change because video started to happen. And. Uh, Yes, there was a, a Mr. Harris doing good videos at Autocar and stuff. I reckon it was oh, oh 09. I'll, inter, I'll, I'll interfere here a bit here now. And, yeah, and, I can't and remember the exact dates. The, the, um, so I'll, in, in, the, in the meantime, in about oh seven oh eight, I'm at Autocar and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this. I'm making money for someone else. I think everyone that has any ambition at some point in their life thinks I want to do this on my own or I want to yeah. I want to exercise one of my ideas. I don't want to just be a salaried monkey. And I'd been freelance for a while. And then I spoke to Dickie and I spoke to Jethro and we all just thought, well, why don't we go and do oh, something yeah. based around video? Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've, we launched a thing called Driver's Republic and, and some of you listeners will know about that. And we are going to do a Driver's Republic podcast where we all sit down, get drunk and whinge about how we nearly ruined ourselves. But anyhow, this is a, this is a story from which Harry really does shine. So we go... And basically, we we rip some of the writers out of Evo, which isn't good for them. And and I stopped writing for Autocar and other stuff like that, which is probably not so bad for them. And uh, and we found this this website, and and it was shambolic, and it was a tricky time, and it failed after a year. Um, but it could have been a real threat. I mean, it was it had a, it had some quite good elements to it. Yeah. And and it was probably ahead of itself in as much as the electronic space wasn't quite ready for. Something like right. that, but uh, as it failed, 
Harry could easily have, have just gone, right, you lot are a bunch of Judases and you're never going to darken my door again because you've given me a bit of a headache for a year and a bit. And instead, he phones up myself and Dickie and Jethro and just says, well, you know, why don't you come back and work for us? And I think I think Jethro actually went to car, didn't he? Because you didn't have the bunts to employ all three or something. <laughs> yeah, but, but remember. you know, within, yeah. within six weeks of Driver's Republic failing, myself and Dickie were back. Well, I know Dickie was back writing Evo. I'd never actually written them for before. And I and yeah. I had a very happy couple of years working at Evo. So I'll officially say thank you for that because I was on my ass with no job, no nothing. And um, and he phoned me up and said, well, you know, come and do some writing for us. And then we, and we did some videos. I remember doing... You the web, about the, he had a proper website. It wasn't just e- your address. Evo, yeah. Evo yeah. Had a, Evo, at this point, had a website. And we went and did a video on, a, on the new 458 Italia. It was the first video we did. And it melted the server, didn't yeah. it? Remember that? And yeah. I remember you sitting down again. I remember that around Fiorano. Yeah, and, yeah. and I remember Harry saying, it's, it's it's both good and bad news, Chris. What's <laughs> happening? He goes, well, it's cost me about 20 grand to host the video. We've made no money from it, but we know it's done about a million views. Yeah. What do we do about this? Yeah. <laughs> and at the point, we didn't really know what to do, did no. we? Well, everything you're doing, you're moving on to, you know, mobiles are coming out, iPads, all this. And I kept saying... Felix, you've got to follow the customer. You know, it's no good moaning that the customer's looking at videos and they why aren't they buying my magazine anymore? Well, you just got to follow the, the you know, the customer is your choice. So, yeah, it was working out how you could monetize these sort of things. Um, yeah, it was hard in those days because you, you, you knew you had to do the magazine as well. So suddenly going out on a shoot, you need a writer, a stills photographer, video guy, you know, it's like, oh, flipping it. But also, then, then we had, you wanted interactive magazines. They've sort of fallen by the wayside, yeah. but you had to make the fancy, you know, you press that button and that bit I moves. I that. That, yeah. that. That was just a load of work it was. and investment for nothing. Yeah. yeah, and it all takes time. The other thing people don't realise, if you're in, as a business, um, digital, you have to charge VAT on. Um, so you're instantly, paper product, it has no VAT on it. So you're down by 20% you on your margin. Uh, anything to do with digital, so that was a problem as well. They were happy times. So in my, in my, I'll give you some of my memories from from the few years I spent at Eva. I was only there for two years, I think, or you and you and a half or so. And um, we were trying to do video at the same time as Harry said. So we'd always be rushed off our feet. Some some moments that stand out were towards my end of my time there. They launched a Lamborghini. Launched the Aventador. Why are we talking about Lamborghini so much? I don't even like anything. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> there's a Lamborghini so, letter. Here. Yeah, so 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 Lamborghini <laughs> launched the Aventador, and we go well. Well, let's do the back catalogue. We had we've got a Diablo, we've got an Aventador, and we had a Countach. Harry just bought his own Countach. Yeah, and we're up on one of the hills somewhere, the one near Cal yeah, probably, right. and um, and this this Countach is Harry's pride and joy, <laughs> right? And uh, and he's basically keeping one eye on me because he knows full well that I'll at skid it. Around, so it's going to get skidded. And <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I think Dicky might have been there as well. And um, and the moment Harry goes, I'm going to nip down into town and get I'll a get sandwich. I get some yeah. sandwiches. So I saw my opportunity. I said, right, someone get a phone out now. I'm skidding this thing round round this hairpin. So I'm, and it was. I mean, you have sometimes you just got to get grab something by the by the scruff of the neck. And in my head, I'd read the phrases, the crop leaves. I'd read all these people talk about how these things were animals and you couldn't yeah. drive them. And I thought, yeah. it can't be that hard. It's a bloody engine with a locking diff and a throttle yeah. pedal. We'll give it a go. So I skidded this thing. If you, if you type in Countach yeah. Drift on, yeah. on YouTube, someone's they've, someone's copied it a, mil, a load yeah. of times and it's done a couple of million views. But it was it was a naughty moment. 
And of course, the backstory is that Harry got a puncture on the way home and never, quietly never <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> but I still don't, I can't see the two events were, were related, Harry. That was bad, yeah. <laughs> um, so officially, I apologise. I don't, I think, I think you got a, a nail in it. I can't see how doing one skid <laughs> would, would defeat that, a Pirelli. No. Um, no. So there was that one. I also remember we had a lovely, we went on the Bugatti Oh, Veyron Supersport That was launch. weird, Lord. Why were we, we just, both on that? I don't know. I think no, we both fancy going. And we just spent a, a, a day just driving at speed around <laughs> southern Spain in something with about 1,200 horsepower. Yeah, trying to do launch control, weren't we? I yeah, that. smoky launch Loris. control. Got, but every, but every single time he would open it up, he'd drive it for a bit, and I'd be thinking, I mean, he's a good driver, Harry, but it's like, Jesus, dude, this thing... I don't want to look at the numbers <laughs> no. on the dashboard. Uh, no. And I think that, yeah, the, let's, let's, let's branch out a bit. Car launches, back yeah. in the day, who God. you share with. And, and, oh, and how God. do you cope with the person that, that dri- is driving the car? Just to, to clarify this for readers, back in the day, for the listeners, back in the day, you go on a car launch, you get paired up with a buddy. Yeah. It's, not all, it's not always your buddy. You just get no. given a random. And sometimes oh, it's awful. Them, Sometimes you don't. And the older hands tend to speak to each other on the telephone in advance to make sure yes. they're together so they don't yeah. have a lunatic. But if you go on a, on a car launch and you've got some young gun that wants to prove how handy they are, it's not good, is it? No, it isn't. You must have had a couple. Oh, it's horrible. Horrible, horrible feeling. And uh, you do everything to have a photographer with you or something that yeah. means that you, you're doing the driving. But there are, yeah, there are cars. I, yeah, we shouldn't name and shame. No, no, no I'm not cars, looking names, cars, yeah, cars on the roof, aren't there? At, yeah. At car launches and just terrifying and that's, uh, once, but, once you get known as a, someone that can drive a bit you've obviously got the next one next to you trying yeah. to prove how handy they are yeah and I've, a couple of times i've said I, I don't need to know that you're damon hill i don't need to know it you're very good at what you do you're a great writer but, yes. but we need to slow down because yeah. i'm not well, entirely cool. convinced you've got control of this vehicle and the other thing they always want to, what's your opinion on this car because they haven't got an yeah. opinion in, yeah. absolute clue so you can if you're thinking i wonder what Auto kind of right this week. Can I actually put in that um, it, it it was? I just can't believe the amount of oh, I don't know. Um, what can we say? It tram lies like crazy when it doesn't, or something like that. And, and it would uh, appear in the if, story. See if you could get into I was guilty of doing that several yeah, times. Yeah. I, was oh, I really don't like the gear change on this when it had a wonderful gear change. Just <laughs> <laughs> something. Yeah, but, we used to do that. Yeah, well. but that, so the Veyron was was memorable. I was, some of the other stuff. There was a lovely one thinking back to some of the impish things we did because we did have some fun even though it was fraught and the recession had hit in 09 yeah. things were cooling down a bit there was a Ferrari launched the California which everyone knows was supposed to be a Maserati Pro, should it have been a Ferrari even now I'm not convinced maybe it should have been and they launched yeah. this car and I think David Vivian went to go and drive it and the gearbox broke and it was all a bit of a shambles wasn't we it? had a yeah. serious one on that and they, one. And they, we had to cover it up we had, yeah. Yeah, so He'd done a favour and and not printed that the gearbox had blown up, which I thought was fair enough. And did you had thought, to did turn. You? Well, we started the shoot with a red car and finished with a black car. Yeah, and we had to turn the black car red in the magazine. Yeah, that to complete have, the shoot. That must have so, pleased the art department. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, so so fast forward a couple of months, we want to get a California to do a group test, and um, and they wouldn't lend one. So Metcalf is not one to be told he can't do something. Goes and rents one. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. But it's right. But it's but this yeah. thing's had a life. You could imagine a rental yeah. California's had a life. So <laughs> this kicked this, this kicked off yeah. a fantastic. And we're not. I'm not trying to break relationships here, Harry. I'm not trying. No. To, I'm not trying to get you in trouble. But it was a really funny story, and it, it'll it'll influence people's opinion of certain things. But it also lets them know how the world works. So Ferrari is a, is understandably very protective of its image because yeah. it's the biggest car brand of them all, yeah. the most recognisable one. So they say you can't have a car. He goes and rents a car. And this thing's a bit the dog. It doesn't do very well in the test. No. And I, I think we both agree that even the fittest California on the planet wouldn't have won that test. Cause no, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a very good car. No. So anyhow, it all kicks off that this rental Ferrari is being used. And I have to then go and drive a car in Fiorano for a test. And when I turn up there, they won't talk to me. They won't talk to me. And they just say, "Is uh, we don't want to talk about this uh, California situation. <laughs> So then they, so having gone from not talking to me, they'd say, we're not talk, they want to talk to you about the situation. I said, well, I wasn't here to talk about it. I'm here to drive another car. Yeah. And then three or four times they go, we don't want to talk about it. I said, well, you know, you, you do seem to want to talk about it because you keep saying you don't want to talk about yeah. it. And eventually they just go, they gave me a rocket up the backside, which bearing in mind, I was a freelancer for Evo magazine and, and you decided to rent the thing. I was a bit, I thought it was a bit rich, yeah. actually. I felt like saying, here's Harry's phone number. Have a chat with him. But the, the I remember the result of the situation was that, that, Ferrari had said that the conditions of, of a journalist writing about a Ferrari were now simple. If any journalist wanted to drive a current Ferrari model, they had to phone whoever owned it outside the factory had to phone and ask yeah. permission. That was it, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And at that time, I owned a 612, which was a current Ferrari. So the situation, as far as I was concerned, was that every morning when I wanted to go and get the bread, I had to phone Luca de Montezemolo and say, Luca, is it all right if I get the bread and the milk? Oh, I'm just popping to Tesco's. I thought, well, I'll just have a hotline to the dude and I'll just tell him whenever I'm going out. Just yeah. ask permission to use my car. It, it was amazing. I remember you it reading was, the email out to me with your glasses yeah. on your nose, just yeah. with a massive grin on your face going, they've really lost it this time. <laughs> I had some wonderful meetings at Fry. I do admire them because they are so passionate about their product. They just won't and say And the brand. No. I love the way they yeah. protect the brand. They really do. And I and Tim Watson, who um, was a PR guy, British guy out there when we uh, first started Evo, and I said, what do we do? When we fall out of Fry, how do we handle it? He said, just come out, have lunch. Whatever you do, have lunch. So in the early noughties, every time we didn't, put a Ferrari first or you know I used to book a flight and just said I'm coming over just gonna have lunch and it was like I was lived next door in Bologna or something actually <laughs> I'd travel all the way out there on my own buds to say let's go and have a lunch and it and it sort of works and you just got to know them and it and they they weren't driven it wasn't marketing they just had an utter belief that they made the best cars and they just couldn't cope with coming second and they couldn't understand why anyone would want 
something other than their car. That was it. You'd sit yeah. there and they go, "Why but this Porsche thing? What, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking what about? GT3? Uh, who cares?" I, I can remember actually when the when McLaren came out with a 12C. Um, we we used to do the lap times. You know, obviously we do lap times. Um, we used to do them up at Bedford. And they would come out and test in advance and, you know, make sure, see what the car was, and they'd get a really light example. They'd look at the world spec and how they can make the lightest 458, whether that's cheating or not, whatever. But what got me was when the McLaren, they had a serious rival with McLaren. They knew it. And the the drive, it was, uh, I won't say who it was, who was driving, doing the lap times that day. But when he got into the Ferrari, the guy said, do the best lap time. This has we want this to win. It doesn't matter if we don't take it home. Just got to win. And they were they didn't mind if we crashed it. We were going to get a better lap time than the McLaren 12C out of it for our magazine. And it was this utter belief they made the best product. Yeah. Uh, and I, I sort of like Ferrari. I've just written a, uh, sorry, just read a book on Enzo Ferrari, and you realise the passion and how it's family and how like his 80th birthday, he only invited all his workers there. There wasn't any dignitaries out there. It was his passion, his family, and it really mattered to them. And he was representing Italy. That was the other thing. They were the brand. That's why they're red and they win for Italy. So, yeah, a funny company to deal with. And it's easy to fall out with them, especially if you make their car fifth or last or something. <laughs> it's just a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've fell out with them a couple of times, but uh, I still vaguely communicate with them now. They seem okay. I'm sure that will that'll change at some point. You never know, but, do you? But just think of those engines they've made. That normally aspirated V12. It's sensor. I just don't know how they make an engine do that. You know, but... they are that that overused cliche that in the 70s they in the 60s and 70s they yeah. they built an engine and threw the rest in for free. Yeah. You do get the sense of that. Yes, and we've and we've got something in common. That we've both got a, you know a flat 12. Uh, Ferrari and, and I I don't know a better sounding engine I know no, a McLaren F1 is a more exciting engine and it's probably more visceral but the noise that a flat 12 yeah. makes on a slightly naughty pipe amazing and, and the the funny thing with that car is it doesn't really rev it only revs about 6, 7 or 7 yeah. or something it's not a high rev it's not it's just there is it a it starts sound. to make a great noise at 2.5 yeah so, th- so the, th- that power band when it's making the great noise is yeah. just as good as, a, as an engine that's revving to 9 because they don't really come alive till 3 or 4 do they yeah no Oh, I yeah. love mine. Now, you drove your you drove your test to the Sahara to sort of create, yeah, that was recreate bit, an old car magazine story. <laughs> that was it? a bit silly. Yeah, that was again a bit of naivety on my part. That was a bit. Did tough. it survive? It it did fine. It cost about nine thousand a sort the time we got it back. <laughs> uh, just the mud got into every orifice going on that car, and it, yeah, it toughed it out. Bushes were shot in the suspension and stuff. But what a journey that was. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a tough test. What I didn't realise when I was setting it up, there is no rescue services in Morocco. No, I found that out recently as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, it's not good. So you're you know you're paying lots of cash and you put it on the back of a lorry or you're bringing a trailer out yourself to get it. And there's no tyres for a Ferrari out there at all. Um, but yeah, it was it was actually very good. We had a problem. I thought with the immobiliser, it turned out to be another thing, which I found out the next day. But yeah, we had a wonderful journey back, and they're just. It's just a great, you know, I'm lucky to have the Countach and the Testarossa, and it's, it pains me to say it, but the, the Testarossa is actually the better car. But there is something more exciting about the Countach, but it's in short doses, while the 
TR. I live, I do long journeys in, no problem at all. So, and surely the fact you own those two must have something to do with that car magazine picture on the sand. There is. I keep wanting to redo that image and just revisit Where was that? that, was that Pendine? Or Pendine. Or where, where was we it? used to go again with Evo. We used to go down to those that beach and do the shoot there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- those are the days when it, those sort of tests matter and you did miles. There wasn't... There wasn't a rush to get the stories out. There wasn't a web. I feel so sorry for journos now because this, this utter pace. Got to yeah. do the web story, the, the normal story, story, the short the video, web story, the long know. web story, and the it, social media. Yeah. The and when we went out on a car launch, the early days of Eva, you, you'd, you'd land. They'd probably give you a drive in the car. And then you'd meet the engineers that evening and you'd discuss various things with them. And then you'd already driven the car. So then you'd formulate some things you wanted to try out the next day after the engineer told you about stuff. And then you'd write the story. And it was a lovely process. Um, and you couldn't wait to share the information. But you had the background story. I worry now they're so rushed and so controlled. But they don't scrutinise what they're told. That's the thing. I no. think you just get told this is how it is in the press conference. But they don't go out and then apply what you've no. learned, whether the car does that or not. Yeah. And actually the car, mag- car makers are very clever. If you could have everyone believe what you say verbatim, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. I don't, I'd tell everyone I was good looking. Good Chris Harris, good looking. Well, there you go, Chris Harris, good looking. Yeah, I haven't seen that in print yet. But uh, yeah. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a short break. Um, so um, go and um, go and, go and make yourself a tea cake, put some jam on it, and have a cup of char, and then we'll have you back after after that break. Thank you very much, Harry and Edward. Collecting cars: the safe, smart, and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars an online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. The CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Welcome back to the second part of this Collecting Cars podcast with Edward Lovett. I'm not doing any of the Twitter handles, I can't be bothered. And Harry Metcalf, who you know anyway, because he is Harry Metcalf. Now, we've discussed magazines, we've discussed yeah. how you managed to get yourself roped into our mad world. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the marketplace, because you've always had a keen eye for what's interesting, what's special. And I think the best thing about the way you've bought cars, you never got too carried away. Even though I remember you phoning me once and going, I think I'm going to buy a Zonda. But, yes. but let, let, we'll, we'll do the Zonda in a minute. Yeah. Let's let's talk about what you think is happening, happening in the car now? market at the moment. Because it's it is this is a very interesting time. It's it's extraordinary at the moment. And um, it's it's ramped up. You know, we thought we wanted all these special cars coming out. But we've realised there's rather too many. When there's too many, they don't become quite as special as they were when they appeared individually, as they used to do in the early noughties. Um, and I actually think we're one of the things that's really uh, ramped up recently is performance. And we're now with DSG gearboxes, 600 plus horsepower. We're talking stupid, not 100 times and stuff that just ridiculous in the five seconds isn't it, it was 720s and stuff anything that went sub 10 to 100 so that was used to really wake us up didn't it yeah and, and now and now a you know an m2 competition does that yeah i i and it's you then realize when performance is everywhere it's it's just not as special and once you've tasted it it becomes a frustration because it's so um, so un, uh, unavailable in normal motoring if you want to carry on with a driving license to actually 
utilize it so you the car doesn't satisfy as you expect by having this really fast car when you're signing up and getting dreaming and say well i gotta have one of those it's more frustrating than than enjoyable is quite often the case and i you know i haven't i haven't really uh, I haven't booked us like a 720s, or I don't want to single out McLaren, but they're just one of the fastest out there at the moment. Um, because I don't know what more you can say. You just run out of adjectives, or he's very fast because it completely dominates everything. But it's not selling cars anymore. That's that's the that's the trouble. I think the manufacturers are, and I think we're partly to blame. I agree. Chris, that we, uh, Evo, we, we you know, so we as the press, we we as the press, yeah, yeah. because. We inter- That's not me, by the way. No, no. Well, at Evo, we introduced the lap times, Top Gear lap, and if you're a manufacturer and you're planning your next model, you're thinking, well, what are the media going to do? Well, they're going to lap it. Oh dear, we better. And then, and then, where do we, where, where do manufacturers practice lapping? Where it's the Norse life. So suddenly, the yeah, ring time suddenly comes really important, and we've ended up in a place where cars are basically too fast and i think the big f- breath of fresh air recently is the renault alpine coming out and suddenly people said oh hang on a minute there is another way to enjoy cars um and my only fear is manufacturers now are facing uh, a tsunami of legislation hitting them that how do they they're going to try and keep the performance because they can't have a new model coming out with less performance is their mindset so they have to add even more EV, and we ended up with a really heavy car, and we need even more power. So we're actually, on, you know, it's like that new Ferrari, isn't it? A thousand horsepower SF90. SF90. What's that all about? It doesn't interest me. I see it on a piece no. of paper, and, I, and my immediate summary of, of the on-paper specification is get rid of the batteries, make it 500 kilograms lighter, and I don't care if it's that fast. And half price. Yeah. Uh, you're quite right. It's... it's We've partly encouraged it. It's gone in. It's but it's gone too far. The other breath of fresh air, and I would say this, is the sort of touring spec GT3. You know, they don't care about the fact that it's slow around a track. It's got a manual gearbox. I just, I just think that what's happened in this, in this sort of obsession with outright performance, is is how the human being interacts with the machine has been forgotten. Yeah. So, so now you know we've got inert steering. You've got gearboxes that do it all themselves. The, what the, the the fun you derive from the vehicle now is just the sort of whoosh you get in the back and how fast it goes. It's yeah. no longer about the driving experience. No, and I think it's interesting that here we are. We're very experienced uh, or drivers, if you like, of all sorts of cars. What's actually in our garage isn't the latest, fastest thing. We've because it's what's now happened is. We look at the back because we can see the future and where that's going an EV and, you know, it's going to be plug-in hybrid to get around Euro 7. Sorry to get technical, but from 2023, it sort of changes. But we wanted, it's like that Diablo I was talking about earlier. You don't have to go that mad. I've I've got the little Lotus Elan. You've got your E28 M5. And we want that interaction. Be, that's that's what got us in love with driving and in controlling this machine. And that was that interaction. It wasn't all about the speed. You thought it was at the time. It was made a quicker M E twenty eight. It came out with a four point five liter V eight. You would have it. You know, sorry, straight six. You would have had it. But now, now we've sort of seen the future. I think that's why we're revisiting the noughties and early stuff because yeah. we realised that we actually enjoyed these cars more. If you, if you're as sad motor enthusiast as we are, we love that interaction. We like to make a difference. And from my point of view, 
I love the mechanical nature of cars. I'm a fiddler of cars. I'm just doing an engine rebuild on my Lamborghini Espada. And that engine is just a pure race and it is just exquisite. And pulling it apart, steel crank, you know, you forget that engine, its maximum power is at 7.8, 4 litres, and it's 7.8 in a blessed little Sparda, revs to 8. And it's just glorious. And and I, I'm, I'm rediscovering that's actually what I love about cars. I love the mechanical nature. It's probably why I have the big bike collection, because they wear the mechanicalness is on the outside, and they're only two grand a pop, and I can really enjoy them. And I, that's weaned me off buying really expensive cars as well. And it's half the reason you mentioned the Zonda. It's almost that's the reason that went. There was no fiddle factor with the Zonda. It was an amazing, exquisite piece of engineering. But it sort of, it never went wrong. There was nothing you could do. I asked Horatio, I went to the um, tubular exhaust manifold they put on the Zonda F. Mine was the 7.3 S and it had the cast original um, Mercedes manifolds. And he says, oh yes, we do a special price, special price. And the special price came back at 110,000. Pounds, <laughs> and I said, it's not, "Sorry, Arashi, that's not special enough." <laughs> How do I tell the wife that we've? Yeah, I've sold half the house, and we've got a lovely tubular manifold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that went, and you know, the Countach—that's raw mechanical car. My little Lotus Land has taught me that car weighs six hundred and seventy kilos, and it it does thirteen seconds to a hundred, and it is just glorious. The gear change, the the lightness of touch and I, I just love the way people are finding the Alpine very enjoyable um, and it's a £50,000 not really because I've got other cars in the garage that I would prefer I've got that Lancia Fulvia which um, that Zagato um, I tell you the car that's closest to it um, which I thought I could swap that out for an Alpine is actually my Lotus Esprit Turbo HC one owner 21,000 miles wonderful old school turbo with the yeah. uh, tailgate uh, it's got a removal roof I absolutely love that thing and uh, it's a sort of forgotten hero again super lightweight exactly the same weight as an, as an Alpine same sort of power yeah it's everything I want air conditioning works everything works on it so yeah can't, can't be a factory Lotus it's odd isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I'm, 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 I'm I crap on about this too much at the moment but I'm I am I've recently found myself no longer caring about not having driven everything that's no. new and fast i used to obsess about it you know if someone else got chosen to go on the yes challenge Stradale launch i'd find a way of going out there and getting a go in it yeah. even if i wasn't writing the story because i wanted to be the person that had driven everything i wanted to have that that entire encyclopedic knowledge of every car yes as a car enthusiast and then it was the f8 tributo launch the yes. other week and i had a i had, had an invite to it the dates were a bit ropey and this will sound it'll come across the wrong way but i couldn't be asked because it's just a facelifted 488 that goes really really fast yeah. does the same things I, you know i'm much more interested in in something that's got some something that's older and more interactive and i, I just think yeah. the relentless way that they're releasing more and more new metal more supposedly new because it isn't all new no i it got to the point where I said, well, what am i going to write about this what am i going to say well it's a it's a car that goes a second faster around Fiorano and it's basically the same as the car before I think 
also that it's, it's a bit of a last hurrah for the straightforward car without EV intervention. And they're pumping out as much as they um, can, you think? They're, they're getting it out there. And it's been a rich market. And because everybody's been doing it on finance, they'll be able to jack up the actual list price. Uh, because you people paying on the drip. But what about this, what about this potential subprime we're looking at then? You know, uh, you, I think it's very real. I, I've been offered cars eye-opening cheap recently. Seven twenty S, Portofino, uh, Lusso T. Lusso's are a nightmare. There, it was the one I was offered was um, six thousand miles. It was one hundred and fifty off what the person had paid for it um, a year and a bit ago. If you're getting over a hundred thousand depreciation in a year, that's a bit frightening. Uh, I think um, it, it, the only thing I would say it is frightening, and we talked about this at lunch, Chris. Yeah. But if you keep a car for three years, yeah, it's a very different story. But no one can do it anymore. You know, no. they want the next one, and and Ferrari want you in the next one. The, if, the 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 new car cycles coming through so quickly, and if Ferrari aren't bringing something new out, you're hopping into Lamborghini or, or McLaren. Yeah. And and actually, if you look at the depreciation on some of these. Ferraris recently that's been very heavy yeah. and McLaren, the depreciation over a three-year period p- starts to become slightly more palatable. Yes, I, no, I'd agree with that. I think you've got to buy everything now in today's market and say, if the music stops, do I really want to own this for five years? Or yeah. am I happy to own this? Um, and it's then what's going to happen? Are we are we going to be able to drive these cars in the future? Is, it, is another debate. Do you think? What do you think? I think there's two forms of pollution from a car there is the co2 and there's particulates and the particulates is driving the ev in a city area uh, of cars and i can see there is a potential going to be issues i think the 90s 80s 90s car might be an issue in the uk for that i think it's actually quite good to have historic tax status because you are in a separate band and they're they're sort of viewed as no one's going to do many miles on those they're 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 exhibits almost so i think it's if you've got 60s cars i i i think that weirdly even though they're, they're dirtier might be okay um but 90s cars i just wonder if they're going to have um something come on taxation on those but i do think from a co2 point we are going to be able to drive this the cars and there is if if there's any whiff of issue in the uk well i don't mind because i'm gonna i know i'll be able to enjoy them in spain portugal take the bikes off the morocco that isn't going to stop anytime soon and people think oh we're going to go zero um um co2 by 2030 well it's just rot because petrol stations are still going to be there because the best figures i've seen is a 30 percent penetration for ev cars well it does actually mean that 70 percent are still going to be using some form of fossil fuel petrol uh, diesel there is no viable replacement for hgvs um, apart from using diesel and the white van man etc you know doing the long runs up and down the country into europe that's still diesel driven me on the farm there is no electric combine out there or tractor or anything like how that. far away are they do you think <clears throat> not even been talked about it's just impossible it just isn't even uh been thought you know thought through and also what about you I, I want some more transparency about the way emissions are presented to the public oh, I, I don't, I, this idea of the fact that sticking a car in a laboratory and putting a hose on the exhaust defines how that affects the environment it's just it's just insulting because i want it's, to know from the first from the moment the first bolt is hewn to the moment the car is has done ten thousand miles th- then i think we might have some different results uh, very very different and um 
It's a it's an emotional subject, and I try and deal in facts. But if you look at the process of making a hundred kilowatt battery and the amount of CO two produced in its production, it's high. If you're if we've suddenly gone to SUVs, which are heavier vehicles in the first place, and we're on electric HEV, uh, SUV, it's even heavier, and the amount of CO2 released uh, during the vehicle manufacture is subject to the amount of mass you're putting into it. So we're we're now getting cars that are 30 tonne plus of CO2 is released in the process of building that car. So if you're changing your car every two years, you couldn't be more polluting. So you buy your plug-in X5 or something and you have it on yeah every two years, that's about as bad as you get or, or a Tesla. If you buy a Panda and have it for seven years, eight years, a, pan, a Fiat Panda is about five to seven tonnes of CO2 during its build. So it's a third of the build uh, CO2 released during its build. It's, it's, it, I say it's a minefield, all, all of this. This, But the car shouldn't be signalled out. If you look at the, the CO2 thing is a global issue, the other thing to remember in all of this. And if you look at the gigatons produced, and the the biggest amount of CO2 is actually produced from energy um, production. So how we produce electricity is the one that consumes the most amount of um, CO2, or produces the most amount of CO2. If you were to wipe out all transport, you're only in the teens of percent of CO2 change if everybody stopped driving cars. Um, Concrete, I mean, so, uh, so, yeah, many uh, other... so many other things. And no, it's, I'm you know, a farmer and the, the beef was under attack recently. Well, no one's actually telling you that second methane, worst methane produced, is from rice production. So we all stop in, eating rice because that's a bad meal. So I don't like the why it's it's going to a high Because the motor car has always been an easy target. It has. Because you fill it every race, everybody thinks, oh, that must be it. But they're probably there. A three bedroom, semi detached house uses more oil in a year than your average private car. No one tells you that. And the other fig- figures are based on the ownership of cars. Well, we all have multiple cars own so they're not actually all on the road so the figures are skewed anyway because they're not actually on the it's hard to measure i don't really want to go down that no road, and i'm not but, and i, and I but, and I'm, I'm not denying there is a problem i'm not denying yeah. that we have to change we have to change yeah but it but it a lot of a lot of what a lot of what i presented as the solutions seem to me to be a result of appeasing politicians and legislation that wasn't thought about in the first place no. does that seem fair or I not? Th- it's very fair and i think actually i've heard one of your podcast and you were discussing whether historic motor racing if you're going to buy a car now you buy historic motor car i would put a counter argument then and if you get the protesters uh out it's quite an easy target is uh this this weird uh event where everybody brings these very um cars that use a huge amount of petrol and race around in circles all day well is that a good idea is that actually you know it's an easy target if if you've got the right people banded together to to rock outside uh, Goodwood and say, oh, you know, put a protest on of how this isn't very friendly. In fact, it's a worry. Do Le Mans, 24 hours, is that something you could argue with hand on heart, say that's a good thing for no, the planet? No, I agree with you. It, look, it, look, so it looks We wasteful. don't know where we're going. We no, don't we know don't. where we're going. We do this. know that an EV isn't going to do 24 hours, but it's not, Le Mans no, not going to be true. electric <laughs> anytime soon, is it? <laughs> no. So, but, so come back to the marketplace. Yeah. Is there anything out there that makes you think, oh... When that gets to a certain point. That's why I look at cars yes. and I think, in my head, I have a mental point 
And when that when we reach that point, that price point, it triggers in me the oh, like I, I look at I look at F twelves and I think, well, at the moment they're like, you know, one sixty, one seventy, but you know, a hundred and ten grand F twelve. Yeah. I mean, that or a you know, a well spec M five, come on. Yeah. No, I I I'd agree with those. I I look at FF. I still like the FF. I just, Such a cool car. Yeah, and there's nothing you else. Ordered, like, you ordered one. You I did from me. You, yeah, didn't yeah. I? And they yeah. and it was going to be under two hundred thousand, yeah. and it came out at two twenty. Yeah, yeah. So I bottled it. Yeah. I I don't know. I I I I just wonder if the FF is actually the future SUV as we wean ourselves off. SUVs, we go to some sort of middle ground, which is a car a bit like a an bread FF, van, basically a bread van yeah. shape. I think might be the future. Yeah, uh, I, I just don't like SUVs. I never have done. I've always agreed with you no. on that. I, I, see, there's a place in there's a place for a rangey. There's a place for a big thing that you throw kids, dogs in, and it will go across a field. Yeah. That's always existed. Yeah. But for me, it was a specific role, and that's not that's not what I want to be in not, daily. No, no, I I'd agree with that. I I like the relaxation from the. The, the Range Rover, but it's got to be a usable type, the slam dunk. I like the previous generation Range Rover for that with the buttons and things. But it is, it is an impressive vehicle to travel in. But yeah, I try to think, what what am I? There's nothing out there. I like, I'm quietly tempted some of those American muscle cars. I saw you were selling yours. I think they're quite special. I love that thing. And I'm already yeah. thinking, why what don't I, I do that? sell that? I, I, you know, I bought that Project 8, completely barking mad. No one needs a Project 8 in their life. But there is something just, it makes you giggle, this big four-door, four-seater thing that can terrorise GT3s. It's, it just amuses, doesn't it? You know, um, but it's a bit, bit silly. Um, but I yeah, and, and any of the cars. No, FF is the only one I've sort of flag up. I don't. I'm lucky to visit the Zondas and stuff. I don't feel like ever. I don't feel the need to own one of those again. You might, need to, you might need to sell three houses now to get a, to get a Zonda. Yeah. What, do, what, what do you reckon your Zonda's worth now? Oh, I sort of know what it went for. Come on then, Harry. Yeah. Come on. Um, it was three and a bit last trade. I think three point something million, <laughs> uh, and, and they're they're a, they're sort of donor cars now, aren't they? For some sort of it's mad the, project. Yeah. yeah, actually, it's at the factory being converted to the left-hand drive. God, I thought moment. I did badly in my nine hundred three GT two. Yeah. I think you beat me on that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. How nice! Yeah. I, no. I'm not the uh, biggest yeah, mugging Gloucestershire. Don't, to me. Me. <laughs> don't want to buy one of those. <laughs> I'll be, yeah. So um, at the moment, you're still doing the Harry's Garage vids. They're flying. Yeah, you're enjoying yeah, I'm those. I'm sort of concentrating on those, really. I. I like YouTube as a medium, as a pu- ex-publisher, and I look at YouTube how you can p- pop it onto YouTube. They share the ad revenue w- with you, but it's instantly a global market, and it never goes off sale. I think, well, that's quite a happy medium to be on, and and there's such a resource there. You can you know look up stuff. How do you fix that? Or uh, all sorts of things on YouTube. Plenty of entertainment. Um, web-enabled. TV, I think, is a very interesting um, reason to go on YouTube as well because people do search for all sorts of stuff on it. So, what, yeah, what like sort of YouTube. views do your videos get? It's going nuts at the moment. Um, I'm heading towards two million views for September, which I've, you know, millions good, and I don't know what's happened, but it might be back down to a million next month. But mm. I still think. Crikey, that's a lot of views. I think I think they've seen you on the farm, Harry. You've become. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've yeah, seen. They, they, they've seen you get your hands dirty. They've seen the rough but, and ready, Harry. Yeah, maybe a different a different Harry, but uh, yeah, it's the same old Harry. That's what he's always <laughs> been doing in the background. But no, I, I like I like YouTube. I just don't want to become a slave to it. Um, but if I can share knowledge, I like getting something in and finding its history out. 
uh, I think I'm, I'm an old fart now, so I don't really care what I look like in front of the camera and past care. It's not a career path. I just enjoy sharing the passion, really. I think that's what people like about the videos is it's, it's just you, the way you're interacting with the car. You talk about it, clearly love what you're doing, tell it how it is. And I think there is a, there's a lot of white noise out there. There's a yeah. soup of non-information in car videos these days because yeah. you're actually giving some information people go oh hang on a minute he's actually talking about the car well, well the other thing i won't do is go out on a launch so you know I keep getting invited to launches and I'm, I'm just not interested i i the road i test them on is the road i used to drive stuff to evo on so i've got a back catalogue going back 2000 year 2000 of everything along that bit of road yeah and uh that's all i need to know i can drive along there and i can tell it it does x y and z if i go out on the launch i know i'm going to be wined and dined and i'm gonna i'm not gonna have such a clear view on it and i can't categorize it quite so easy with something else and then everybody else is producing the content at the same time yeah it just doesn't interest me really the road is very important it's interesting nice story about porsche there was a road from weissach back into zuffenhausen wasn't there and it was it was one of their sign-off roads they didn't realise it was, but everyone had driven all the cars down that road, obviously. And then one day yeah. the council said, we're going to resurface it. And Porsche yeah. gave them a load of bunts not to. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. There was this, and there's still a section of it that hasn't been resurfaced. Because it was, there was, it, you know. That was the test road. Because that was the, basically all the internal up the coccyx data from all their cans <laughs> going to be lost into the ether. So they said, yeah. please don't resurface this bit. Well, strangely, Eva, that was one place I never used to visit very often was uh, Porsche. The only time I used to visit it was KM because everybody in, Everybody put their hand up before me. It was a GT3 launch or something. There were dicky you, a few of the others. What were the charts of me having a look in on a Porsche launch? We'll go. Yeah, we'll go. I, I can find that. Yeah. No, I think um, I think the market's really interesting at the moment. I, I agree with you that we're at the end of the, sadly, at the end of the sort of solely internal combustion engine sports and supercar and even though I'm grousing a bit at the moment, I fear I might look back in five years' time and go, you shouldn't have complained because what you've got now is a lot less fun and even oh, further down the route of being too heavy than five years ago. I, I don't know. We we tend to go to new tech when it's better than it went before. And at the moment, there is still a compromise with EV. You still have to plan that journey. If you plug it in from home and you're just running around at home, fine. But that's not how we dream of using our cars. And if I look at other tech... Um, I feel like a camera didn't destroy the art world, you know, because why, why would you buy that landscape that someone's, you know, spent months trying to paint and you could just take a photograph of it? The mechanical watch has come, have made a comeback. You've seen records make a comeback. Yeah, but no one's banning the sale of vinyl. No one's potentially banning it's, you having a painting on your wall, but they might ban you from driving your Testarossa into Burford. Uh, well, will they? I... That might be local, but I don't think worldwide. You can't see the whole of Italy and their, um, the way their streets and their um, e- their electricity supply. They're not going to be able to plug in a load of EV cars in their medieval towns at the top of the hill. It just isn't going to no. happen. No. Um, so there isn't a solution. It fi- EV feels like a very middle England solution to me. Um, there is... I was brought up in Birkenhead, so I'm Scouse. And if you go up to there or Middlesbrough... There isn't the, you know, they're not going to be plugging their cars in on the street. And a Fiesta, a five-year-old Fiesta for a, a grand, two grand is bloody good transport, dirt cheap transport. And I can't see it dying out as quickly as politicians might believe it will. No, well, you tested the Model 3, didn't you? And I think you pulled over on the motorway and one of the plugins was broken, the other one wasn't. So you had a coffee, which was fine at the time because you were sort of it, it, what testing. It, does, it makes you 
it makes you reassess your relationship with your personal transportation. It's no longer the thing that will get you there in exactly the time you wanted to. You have to add extra time in. And actually, even though that's frustrating, I found it quite relaxing because it meant I wasn't as frantic. I just I just told people I wouldn't be there when I said I'd mm. be there. And and, and maybe well, you can live forwards? your life like that. Is that going forward? Well, it's That's, not. And no. I think the moment the moment you can't rely on personal transportation to serve its purpose, you might as well just take the train and use a taxi because yeah. it no yeah. longer provides the service that you've invested no. in buying. I know. So it's we adopt new technology when it's better. And it's mm. not better at the moment. It's cheaper. The other bit I I'm intrigued by, if say we all suddenly bought E V cars, where on earth does the revenue from petrol sales go for the government? They're gonna to have to make that money up somehow. How are they going to get that money back? So road pricing will have to come in or something. Yeah. And at the moment EV, um, electricity is highly subsidized because it doesn't they don't know if it's a pensioner plugging in a, a kettle or you with your Tesla S plugging in to go for a blast in it. It's at five percent VAT. There is no tax on the electrics. So I think we're in a, a bit of a weird zone at the moment. I, well, I think we're also going to find out very quickly how it changes with with the expensive end of Taycan arriving shortly. Yeah. But also um, after Frankfurt, uh, the the VW, um, uh, yeah, you know that being launched, you, you're going to be able to come in at a premium level and an entry level. Oh, IDR is the one I drove, isn't it? The fast thing. Oh, yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. But it's God, oh, I, that's for a future. Top gear yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. Hurt my neck that did. 0 to 125 in under five seconds. I'm told electric cars are very hard to read. You don't get the same sensation for the wheel. It's hard to. It is. Get and I, I found it try, and I got a time out of it. I can't give too much away, but blimey, Riley. Also, just it's insane the way the thing stops. So, yeah. um, Edward, over to you just before we, we wrap this up. Um, what's interesting you at the moment? Because we so we've had a Silverstone auction that was a, not a bloodbath, but it was it indicated the market's a bit sticky. Um, what what do you think? If I gave you eighty grand now to go and buy something that's fun and that probably won't do its boots in the next couple of years, what would you go and buy? I love putting him on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> goodness, I'm not very good at this. This is no, no. Well, we, well, we, we were we were just having a coffee and talking about FF, but you know, yeah. at the top of the market, people were paying 150,000 pounds for 550s when they were a few years before were just used cars at sort of 49, yes. yeah. 950, uh, and now a 599 is 80 grand. Yeah, you so, know that that's. Spectacular engine still. <laughs> it yeah. is. Ropey gearbox. Yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, I, dynamically, I, I'm not a particular fan of the 599 because I don't think with the gearbox and the weight, it, it didn't work for me. But 80 grand, you know, when a 550 was 150 grand. Also, it, it's it, a beautiful looking car And you, well. you've said it with 720S, you know, a 720S that blow 150 grand, sort of, it sort of changes what you think a car should be you know with the new f8 is going to be 220 grand plus options so you know one of those could be 300 grand and you could for half the price you can go out and get I, a mclaren yeah i think right now though i'd be buying it's the 20 to thirty thousand mark which if you're a car enthusiast is a whole lot less than you were spending but it's i've got to be careful what i say but it's sort of money that you could afford to lose at that level it's not a disaster if you if you've been in a hundred hundred and fifty thousand bracket and you come down to 2030 suddenly you're enjoying the car mm. and you don't care a monkeys about its value anymore and you use it completely differently so an eighty thousand five nine nine is still going to have yeah maintenance pain. costs if you can wean yourself and just go visit the bottom bo- you know oh, it's not the bottom 
recommend. How, how much was your M5? That was that sort of money, wouldn't it? That would be one of those. I paid nine we, grand for it back it, in the day. But, yeah. but, I, but I, So for me, I, I'm with you as well. I look at things like 981 Boxster. Yes. I mean, a Boxster S. I mean, what are those? The early ones of those oh, are, are in the 20s. That's an amazing car yeah. for the money. Um, the first generation M2, they've, they made so many of those. They've really come down. Yeah. I love my 1M, but the, yeah. an M2 for that money, what yeah. a car. The, oh, yeah. the, F, the F, uh, F80 M3. That's really come down as well. Yeah. That's a, I know Evo thought it was too harsh and everything, but it's still a proper M car with a load of power that you can buy for you know thirty grand. It's yes. a hell of a car. When you look at the new ones being eighty, ninety grand. Yeah, so I think there's some really good stuff. I, I mean, one I would pick out. I'm really enjoying my Project Seven Jaguar Project Seven. An early F-Type VAS is an animal of a car, yeah. and that's a 30, 40 grand. You never you never get used to it before. It's two-wheel drive. You'll be slightly terrified of it, uh, but, yeah, that'll go on forever. And I think there, there's some tasty stuff out there. Just go and revisit some place. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how some, yeah, some cars back, are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we were chatting about this earlier on, and I think if you're a seller in this market, you know, I think reflecting on what something was worth won't help you you know the market's changed and, and if you're going to sell you've got to be prepared to listen to what the market's going to pay yeah and, and take advantage of it as well because as we're saying there are other cars out there that yeah. they might have halved in value yeah um you know we're, we're, yeah, spread, we're spread your I, yeah again i can never get over when some people only stick with one brand again you know go go try the alternative it's not going to kill you and you just see if you enjoy it more you know i i'm lucky to have bought a maserati ghibli a car i never thought i'd own but I've got massive memories of it. It's it was a bit. You, you know, still got the number place. plate, Mazza. Yeah, I've got Mazza. Mazza, yeah. Mazza yeah. What's it on? It's on a, on a piece of paper in a file. Next <laughs> <door>. <laughs> <laughs> and on that wonderfully glib note, I think we're going to wrap up. Harry, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we will Thank do it again. And I think yeah. what we'll do yeah. is we'll, what we'll do is once I've run through all of the criminals that we used to work with, <laughs> I got Jethro, and we'll get yeah. Henry in as well. Then we'll yeah. do we'll get us around a round table, oh, go. all in one room, and yeah. then we can all abuse each other <laughs> face to face. Yeah, but uh, but on, uh, best of luck with uh, with the farm vids as well. Best of luck with the YouTube channel and um, and thank you so much for giving us Evo and thanks yeah. for giving me a job when Drivers Republic died oh, yeah, that's, yeah I think that was good it worked well, <laughs> it worked well uh, for the both uh, of us Edward uh, thank you as well so that's that's us clocking off for this particular episode but we'll get some more in the bag as soon as possible uh, happy motoring safe motoring and um, yeah as the nights begin to draw in just remember the roads can be greasy out there which of course means oversteer <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.